0: One week season.
1: OWS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes. HiLo here, bringing you the final installment of the 2021. Inner Circle Saturday podcast. I'm going to bring in my dude Zandemir here in a minute. But before I do, I wanted to express our sincere gratitude for hanging out with us on Saturdays throughout the season, making the show uh, seemingly a smashing success. Um, I haven't seen much negative feedback on this. That said, if you do have ways that we can improve this show, uh, or anything for that matter around the site, do let us know because we are always looking to take in the feedback that we get and tweak the product that we're providing to ensure that we're giving the best product uh, for what is requested and required out of you. So wanted to just quickly take a moment, express our gratitude. Um, this has been an absolute pleasure to be able to jam with you every Saturday, uh, to be able to talk to Zandamir, um about the slates. And um, it has really come together. And we're super excited about what we've done here and what is in the future. With that, Zandamia, how are we doing today, brother?
0: I'm doing awesome. Uh, I mean, it's always a little bittersweet, like coming to the end of a football season. And I don't know about you, but for me, I always feel like the beginning of the season, I tend to play a little lighter in the beginning of the season because I feel like it takes me... A bit to sort of get back into the swing of NFL and, and DFS play and um, and so I feel like I'm generally not at my sharpest in the first couple of weeks and then uh, as the season goes on I, I tend to have my better results later in the year and which has been the case this year. So it's always a little bittersweet like when it feels the season's ending and I'm like, oh but I'm just like in like I'm in a groove now, don't end um, but here we are it's been an awesome experience uh, this is more content than I've ever done. um this is the first time I've ever been. I've ever done a podcast and this is not really normally my thing. Um, And I told Hilo like, I was super nervous about this. Starting it out, so it's been a really cool learning experience for me. Uh, I hope we've provided something of value. I know we've had, I know we've had some good takes. We've had some takes that didn't pan out, but that's the nature of this business, right? You're not going to have, no one has 100% accuracy, but I I think we've seen a lot of wins from Inner Circle. Um, You know, we've seen it in the Banks Channel. We've seen some some really big wins. We've seen some other, you know, really big sweats that could have been big wins that were super close. So I feel like. Uh, that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like we're providing something of value, and you know we're here for you guys. so I hope you all enjoyed it, but uh, you know, I'll echo what Hyla said,, uh, you know, we're here for you, right? Our goal is to provide uh, a product and content that you all think is amazing. so if there's if there are things we can do differently, things we can do better, um things we're not doing that you'd like to see us doing, like uh, I think it was Mike who wrote the short slate write up, uh, wasn't it for last week um like that kind of thing like we are we're all ears you know we want to make this into the best site uh, out there and so help us help us do that let us know what we what we can do to
1: make it that phew help me help you yeah <laughs> yeah man um x talking straight to you man this has been awesome uh we coming into this like Xanabir was saying earlier um he was pretty apprehensive about uh doing this podcast cuz he had never done it before um, I basically, I shot him like a, a paragraph of an outline. I was like, it's all right, man, just follow my lead and, and we'll figure this out as we go. And, um, it's been, it's been awesome seeing how this is, uh, has taken shape and, and we've been able to provide something of utility. So, uh, kudos to you X with that said, let's talk about the most interesting and unique slate of the season oh, this week, week, 18, 2021. Here we go. Macro perspective: What are we looking at this week? Well, we really we have a kind of culmination of a weird season in the sense that we've talked about. You know, defenses are starting to play more cover two, cover three, high uh, two high. Um, these more prevent style defenses to counteract and counterbalance the increase in pass rates and the increase in deep passing that the NFL has kind of seen over the last couple two to three seasons. With that, obviously, we've seen that morph into lower game totals as the season has progressed. You throw in COVID stuff and then the standard late season injury stuff. Um, and we've seen you know a good four to five weeks now of these low game total you know, across the board slates. That is kind of coming to a tip. This week, we have a very large slate and there's only two or three games with a game total that we would have been calling out. Earlier in the season, as you know, these are the game environments to target. Along with that, obviously, we have the added uncertainty that is associated with late season and the term motivation. And I want to I want to shout out to Mike Johnson um, for kind of bringing that to the forefront of people's minds this week. And he did that in the Oracle. And what I mean by that is. The term motivation is kind of thrown around loosely this week. We have to realize these are professional athletes. These are the top 1% of the top 1% football players in the nation, in the world even. So these are athletes who are going to go out there and play football because they like playing football and they're going to be trying to win games. What... The term motivation, how we should kind of be thinking about that this week is with respect to play calling tendencies, with respect to coaching tendencies, with respect to how those things could interact with various game environments and not think about it with respect to like individual player effort, individual player performances. So that's another loose end that I think deserves mention right now to kind of tie a bow on this week and the macro state of this slate. With that said, X, what additional thoughts do you have on the macro perspective of this? Salute? Yeah, it's,
0: it feels like the theme of this whole season has been uncertainty and volatility, right? And I mean, COVID has thrown that into um, into the mix. And to your point, like we've seen teams making defensive adjustments. So a lot of our uh, going back a couple of years, a lot of the spots that we have viewed is like this is an absolute smash spot. Um, have not panned out because of defensive scheme adjustments, right? We've watched things like the Bills flop against the Jags. The Chiefs have flopped against multiple opponents this year. The Bills have actually flopped against multiple opponents. Um, and by flopped, I just mean not put up like DFS smash scores, right? They're still a great team. They're going to the playoffs. They've won a lot of games. Same with the Chiefs. But we haven't seen the offensive explosions that we've always predicted with a pretty high degree of accuracy um, because of these defensive scheme changes. You've also got, you know, COVID has thrown things in the mix, uh, all the regular injury stuff. And now we've got uh, the first, the first season of a 17 week season, sorry, a 17 game season. Um, And then the normal, like final week of the season, who's resting, who's motivated, who's playing, who's only playing a a series or a quarter or a half. So like, this is just the culmination of like peak wildness in the NFL. Um, And the way that I think about it is, you know, there's a lot of content out there around the concept of motivation and what teams are motivated this week and what teams are not necessarily motivated. And what I would say from my perspective all of that concept of motivation is entirely meaningless there's only one area that i care about uh sorry two areas one is who's inactive right like joe burrows joe burrow is going to be inactive so now we have what brandon allen starting for the bengals so you know the guys who are inactive that we'll know either know right now or we'll know sunday morning um and then for a small handful of teams, there's the who's resting guys. Um, you know who, what, what teams might only play, you know, a quarter or a half, and so that's like, you know, the Packers are I think the most obvious, um, most obvious candidate there. But like other than that, you know, there's teams like the teams that have been dead for weeks, right? Teams that have been mathematically limited for the playoffs for weeks. I don't expect them to do anything different. Um, the Jags are going to do everything just the same as they always have, probably poorly. The Jets are going to do everything the same things they always have, also probably poorly. Um, you yeah, have the Lions, like these these bad teams, are they're still going to play hard uh, the last week of the season? It's their Super Bowl, right? They want to go out on a high note. Um, I don't think that motivation actually plays into it that much on an individual player level, right? Where the where it's relevant is at the coaching level of how do coaches decide to utilize their players? How many snaps do they play them for? Um, that's where, that's where you care about motivation. And there's, I think really only a small handful of spots where that's relevant. So for the most part, I think you can kind of throw out the majority of that motivation content.
1: Yeah. And Going, taking that to the other extreme is utilizing the perception that has been created around the industry based on all this motivation talk, um, and leveraging that and and picking through and finding lower owned plays that could be in they have nothing to play for spots uh, that could you know provide some of the top point per dollar production on the slate and they're likely to go extremely low owned. So we'll talk about a little bit of those plays. Um, the last thing I'll add from a macro perspective here, and this is something that I wasn't thinking too heavily about until uh, shout out season here. Steve Klysath, so one of our inner circle members, um, hit me up on Twitter about, and that is revolving around incentives. So we are very much in incentive season. So these are, you know, players, contracts nowadays are built with. <laughs> A a heavier emphasis on cap, obviously teams are trying to cram in as much upside paying for the players that they can uh, under the salary cap. And what we've seen, obviously, over the last two years with COVID is the salary cap has come down because the total revenue across the NFL has come down. And the way that the cap works is it is a percentage of basically the annual revenue uh, over a two to three span the years prior. Um, for the NFL. And that is spread out across teams. And that is how they build their salary cap. So with that in mind, a lot of what would typically be guaranteed money or uh, money going directly to a player, regardless of outcomes has been incentivized as these, um, or I guess, transferred to these incentives. And in week 18, there's a lot of these players that are very close to receiving extra money for incentives. Coaches, how do they handle that? Well, we don't know um, outside of very particular cases. You know, Bruce Arians, um, Reich uh, has shown a propensity to help his players try and reach these incentives. Um, there's a few other uh, coaches that we know we have some historical background over the last two or three seasons where these coaches have kind of helped their players reach incentives. We saw it last season with Antonio Brown uh, and Bruce Arians. Um, the last game of the season, he had like 17 targets or something crazy to try and reach his incentives. Um, we've, saw it, we've seen it with Reich uh, previously uh, for defensive uh, reasons. Um, I believe it was uh, Darius Leonard last season was really close to incentives and his coach played him heavily, heavy snaps. Uh, in a rather meaningless game to try and get them those incentives. So there's a couple of spots that we'll talk about, but that is another layer wrinkle uh, to be considering. I would just throw it into the decision-making matrix. It's not going to be like a deciding factor, but it could be something, you know, a, a just another piece of the puzzle. And we'll talk to a couple of those spots this week as well. All right, man, anything to add from a macro perspective before we jump in here? Yeah, I
0: think it's the same. The other thing is the same as we've seen for a few weeks, right? Where On weeks where there isn't a lot of certainty, we see ownership congregate around perceived certainty, which may or may not be as certain as people think it is. Um, So, like, we're seeing a lot of ownership congregate around um, the the teams that I think people view as heavily motivated needing to win. Um, We see, like, so Jonathan Taylor for the Colts, uh, Cooper Cup for the Rams. um, And then we also see ownership congregating. Um, on some plays that are on meaningless games um, where the team where the team has nothing to play for. So like Dave Montgomery for the Bears, uh, Justin Jefferson for the Vikings. And so it's interesting because the field is saying, look, these teams have nothing to play for, but I feel confident that they're going to play their guys the whole game and they're and they're and they're going to be smashing. Cool. Um, But then in other spots, the field seems to be saying, I don't feel confident about this spot that they're going to play the whole game, and so I'm going to shy away from it. And so we see these sort of wildly disparate ownerships, right? Like, So Justin Jefferson projecting over 20% ownership, clearly a good play. Um, But then we see like uh, Mike Evans, where I think there's a little bit of question marks around his role um, and if he's going to play the whole game, uh, at 2% ownership. Mike Evans played just throughout the whole game last week, and it was a pretty – you know, I guess I mean it wasn't meaningless, but it was not super meaningful. And he was coming off an injury. I think there was actually an expectation he was going to play as much. Now, obviously, Antonio Brown having a temper tantrum mid game and bailing out uh, probably impacted that. But like, it's just one example of where I think the field is congregating around this per, these perceived certainties. Uh, and I think there isn't that certainty uh, to the level that the field is representing uh, by the ownership that they're taking on. And so. I think on a week like that, like I, I always think in tournament play, you, want, you need to be willing to embrace variance, right? You have to be willing to embrace variance to be a successful tournament player. You can't just play the chalk every week and, and hope that you get the right combo and that all the chalk hits and you, and all the, not, all the contrarian plays fail. Like that's not workable. But um, this is a week, especially to embrace variance and to think about like weird ways that these games could go, uh, unexpected ways for player usage to, pl- to play out either a play that people are expecting to play a lot Ending up not doing so, or a play that people aren't expecting to play a lot, ending up doing so. Because I've been playing DFS for years, and every single uh, final week of the season, Uh, As the day goes on, there's always people saying, oh, my God, if only I'd known this guy was going to play the whole game, I thought he was only going to play a half or, you know, oh, if only the guy if I thought this guy was going to play the whole game, but then he only played a half. Right. There's always that stuff happening um, on the last week of the season. So, you know, recognize that there is a lot of uncertainty um, and that we can. not can't know it all and so you know you can sit there and try to be like well is this do i think this guy's going to play i don't know let me go like search twitter for what his coach said or whatever which is meaningless because coaches lie i cannot count the number of times coaches said we're, we're going to play this game to win we're not resting anyone and then they rest their guys at halftime um <clears throat> so you know you can try to you can try to sort of detective work out all those plays and come up with your assessment of what plays you think are highly likely to play more or play less. Or you can just recognize this is a highly volatile week and you know I'm just gonna, I'm gonna underweight the chalk and I'm gonna overweight the low-owned plays, uh, but try to do so smartly in a correlated way and think about, you know, okay, if this guy doesn't play as much as is projected, who does that help? You know, if uh, if it turns out the Washington football team decides to take it easy on Antonio Gibson, who's been playing through injury all year long, um, then, you know, all of a sudden Jarrett Patterson could get a lot of run out of nowhere. Right. Like, think think about it from that sort of framework. Um, I think it's a tough week for limited entry. Um, It's a good week for MME. Um, uh, which is awesome because, as per usual, Yahoo has their giant tournament, which is not full yet, and with two hundred k overlay. Um, so it's a great week for MME because of all the uncertainty, it lets you it lets you cover more bases. I think it's personally hard to uh, to have a really high degree of confidence in one spot this week.
1: Once again, X, absolutely crushing the lead in for the next thing that I want to cover. Um, and, and again, this is, uh, I, am not sending X an, an outline of what I want to cover on the week. So this is just kind of like, it's funny that how often X just kind of organically leads us into the next, He's thing just to make me feel good uh, the last I, I week. Digress. <laughs> I digress, man. Um, but the, what I mean by that is the field certainty surrounding particular spots and then the overlooked spots with teams that are playing for something this week. So the there's really three teams and games, I will say, that are garnering the most attention from the field. We have the Seattle and Arizona game, and primarily on the Arizona side. You have Kyler Murray expected to be almost 20% owned. You have James Conner expected to garner more than 20% ownership. You have Christian Kirk expected to garner more than 20% ownership. You have Zach Ertz expected to garner more than 20% ownership. So the field is clearly saying like The most glaringly obvious top play on the slate is the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, we'll talk about that here in a minute. The field is also gravitating towards the Buffalo Bills, primarily through their quarterback and running back position. The field is also... Gravitating towards a lot of one-off plays from teams that don't have a lot to play for. You covered some of them earlier. Uh, The primary spot there is Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. Um, We also have Antonio Gibson. I think you covered that situation perfectly. Uh, I talk as much uh, in the end around as well, which just came out not too long ago. Um, But there's all these spots that the field is... Staying with a high degree of certainty are the top spots, the top places to attack on the slate. Well, what about some of these teams that uh, I guess we can throw in, uh, before we continue, throw in San Francisco and the Rams uh, into that same kind of bin of perceived certainty? Mm. Well, we also have these games and these teams that have a ton to play for. We can expect max effort, all that good stuff that goes into the uncertainty surrounding this week um, that are expected to not garner much ownership at all. New Orleans Saints need a win and some help to get in the postseason. Alvin Kamara, sub 5% ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, yum, yum. Taysom Hill, not owned. Um, let's see who else we got. Oh, the one of my favorite game environments on the week on the slate is the Pittsburgh and Baltimore game. Um, you have two teams who are you know, tied for the fourth heaviest pass rate over the last month of play in the season. Uh, in Pittsburgh and Baltimore, you have two teams that are fighting for a playoff berth. They need a win and a whole heap of help, uh, but they are still technically both alive in the postseason. You have uh, two offenses that are fairly easy to discern where the likeliest production is going to come from. You have Tyler Huntley, who has offers some rushing upside with his legs as well. You have. Um, Mark Andrews, who's expected, I think it was like 1.2% um, expected yeah, ownership. 1.4% like uh, what I is see right now.
0: It's ridiculous. Like, what does this <laughs> dude have to do? <laughs> it's, like, it's no scared. one wants to play him ever. Yeah. And he is just smashing.
1: Yeah. So, all this stuff is coming in. You have Deontay Johnson, who is coming off of uh, the COVID reserve. So, again, we, we talked last week about all the uncertainty that goes into that. With him in particular, you know, he was activated fairly quickly after hitting the COVID list. So we can assume that he will be a full go with respect to standard snap rates and all that good stuff. But there's a lot of uncertainty that goes with that. So there's this game is a high leverage situation in and of itself. And then there's all these additional wrinkles and layers that we can dig in as well. Um, Other places that kind of fit that mold. uh, Yeah, I think that's. The, the three that I wanted to highlight um, as like kind of these places where they have a ton to play for and the field is not recognizing it. Then, Oh, by the way, we also have these teams that can are fighting for playoff seating. We have Tennessee, we have Indy who needs a win to get in um, these teams that, you know, and then we look at their opponent and they're playing Houston and Jacksonville respectively. So um a lot going on this week, but these are a couple of spots that kind of start to show us how you know the the depth of this slate and how how uncertain it is now, oh by the way we we talk about incentives, like Jonathan Taylor is two hundred and sixty six rushing yards. That sounds absurd to say out loud. He's two hundred and sixty six rushing yards short of hitting the two k mark. We know Frank Reich is one of those coaches who. Pays attention to these things. It's not an incentive for him, but it is like, you know, very few running backs in the NFL have hit the 2K rushing mark. And oh, by the way, Jonathan Taylor put up 253 rushing yards on this same Jacksonville team in week 17 of last season. You have Tennessee who needs a win to ensure the top overall seed. They're playing a Houston team that has struggled to put up points. They have a running back situation. They just um, opened the 21-day practice window for Derrick Henry, but it has yet to be made public whether or not he will be active. Um, basically, the team has until 4 p.m. Eastern to decide whether or not to activate Henry. I would guess that Henry is either going to be inactive or very, very, or used very, very sparingly. Um, why do I say that? Because if the Tennessee Titans win this week. They're basically giving Derrick Henry an additional two weeks to come back from his injury. And his 21-day practice window would go right up until Wednesday of their divisional uh, round matchup. So, a lot going on here. With that said, X, are there any other like game environments, or I guess team situations, we'll call it, this week, um, that you're seeing a an imbalance between... What these teams are fighting for and expected ownership,
0: not in terms of like motivation, but I will say I want to add, though, that I think one thing that people don't always consider is when you're considering these like motivational scenarios, recognize they're interconnected. So like and the NFL has done a pretty good job of making sure that like something that happens in the early game doesn't change the dynamic too much for the teams playing in the afternoon games so like it's not like something can happen you know we know the saints need to win and be in and they're playing the late game there's no scenario that happens in the early games i believe um that that takes that away that makes the saints all of a sudden out right um i'm pretty sure that's right so but you could but you could see scenarios where like a team's motivation changes during the game depending on what other things are happening in the other games going on at the same time. And you'd really need a blowout for this to happen, right? Like you'd really need a blowout. Um, but like i oh God, I actually had a couple of these dug up and now I don't. I'd have to go find them and I don't know what I did. I, I wrote some notes and I lost them. <laughs> like I wrote them on a piece of paper, like a like a, you know, someone in the 90s. Um New England is one. Yeah, the scenarios, right? Where like they're seating, and I think for the most part it's a seating scenario for some of these teams, where like if one, if you know, if a game goes, yeah. a cert- if one of the early games is going a certain way, then the seating scenario changes. Um, or like if it looks like, oh god, there was one like I think it's if the Texans upset the Titans. No, that's not right. I don't know. Fuck. I'll go. I'll go look and I'll come back in Discord with this. So watch Discord. The
1: Jags. The Jags in Indy.
0: Well, that, that that puts the Colts out. But what
1: else does that change? Who, who does that change it for? I have to go look. Uh, that changes it for... Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I think it, you're probably alluding to...
0: I'll, I'll co- yeah, I'll come, I'll come back in Discord <laughs> with this so. one. Sorry, I I should have been ready for this. Um, but I'll come back in Discord for this one. Um, but there are a couple scenarios where like, you can see teams doing some scoreboard watching mid-game and saying like, you know, t- it's mainly teams that are that are playing for seeding and saying like, look, we're, we're willing to play our starters in this game um, because we're playing for seeding. But if it looks like another game is getting out of hand to where they're like highly confident that one team in, the, in this other game will win, then they might say, oh, OK, that changes our seeding picture and maybe maybe Maybe, you know, we would have liked to rest guys this week. And and now that, you know, X team is beating Y team, now we'll just now we'll decide that we will at halftime or something like that. So I'll put some of those scenarios in the inner circle chat uh, later tonight.
1: Yeah, probably the two most prime examples of that that I can find are New England and Buffalo um, in the sense that they are fighting for the one through four seed in the AFC Um, And the Chiefs obviously play on Saturday, and then the Titans play on the early game, uh, the early portion of Sunday. So um, those are basically your top four uh, seeds from the AFC, um, and that could change dependent on what happens Saturday and early Sunday. Yeah,
0: and the Titans, I know if the Chiefs lose... Uh then the Titans, I think, have a little more risk. because um, the Bengals are paid. like if the Chiefs was the Titans are safer, but the, the Bengals or Patriots could still catch them. So I'm trying to look through it now. Um I don't think the Chiefs mm-hmm. or the Chiefs are today, but I don't think they're resting because they want the play, they want the home spot. Um Bengals, we you know. Bills have a pretty wide range of seating. Um because like they, they can be anywhere from like two to seven. So the Bills have a wide range of seating, so they'll be watching to see yeah. what's going on. Um the pat yeah, the Patriots the Bills win, I could see the Patriots uh taking it a little easier on like their kind of their like I don't think they'll rest starters, but I do like completely, but I do I do think they could like change the workload a little bit. Like Damian Harris has been dealing with, you know, some injuries, so maybe like he gets a little less work and Ramondo Stevenson gets a little more. Um Yeah, I'll come back in Discord. I don't want to make everyone wait while I kind of look through it all. Um, But I'll come back in Discord tonight and lay out some of these scenarios.
1: Yeah, the Bills and Patriots one is a big one because that's for the division. Um, So obviously that's for a home game in the first round of the playoffs, Um, as well as both the Bills and the Patriots could leap up to the two seed, as high as the two seed. So uh, a lot going on in the AFC um, with all these teams clumped rather closely together. All right, my dude. Um, let's talk about some incentives real quick. The I, I alluded to Jonathan Taylor. Um, that's probably uh, one of the outside chances uh, of happening incentives. But then we start getting into these more like secondary players from the field's perspective uh, type incentives. Um, Marvin Jones is an interesting one in that same Indy and Jacksonville game. Marvin Jones is four receptions shy of a half million dollar incentive bonus. He is 14 receptions shy of a full million dollar incentive. So there's a lot going on with a, a player that is is likely to be regarded as like a second rate piece on the slate. Um, but when you start thinking about that Indian Jacksonville game and like what these two teams are aiming to accomplish, like I would argue that Jacksonville has some of the more incentives to actually perform. They like, they don't want to win because they would be giving up the number one pick. Um, but they probably have a, a good deal of incentive to actually perform. Um, they have an interim head coach who has been an interim head coach for two years in a row now on different organizations. He has not held a head coaching job. So he is likely auditioning for like a potential head coaching job for next season. Uh, And that's Daryl Bevel. Uh, We have these two incentives on each side of this game that kind of play together uh, to create a game environment where it would maximize the upside of the game total uh, or the game environment as a, as a whole. So if Jonathan Taylor is crushing, he's going to need Jacksonville to put up at least, you know, a couple scores on the scoreboard, to be able to continue crushing the likeliest place for that to come from is most likely probably through Marvin Jones or Laquan Treadwell. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics with that one. Um, I highlighted that one. I wanted to talk about that one in particular, Uh, but there's these other, uh, or I guess I'll throw it over to you. Do you see any other situations where incentives could be playing a role? Yeah, I'll run run through a
0: couple quickly and they're not all super likely, um, Tom Brady needs to be fifth in pass rating to earn a half million, and he's pretty close. So that's possible. Um, Aaron Rodgers needs three touchdown passes for like it's like 100K. But yeah, Aaron Rodgers is a couple. He has like completion percentage and yards per attempt. So I don't think that's likely, although I could see, you know, Aaron Rodgers is very statistically oriented. He's also like he wants to be the MVP. Um, and I think his, you know, if Aaron Rodgers barely plays and Tom Brady plays a lot, like they're the two front runners um, with Rodgers, I think slightly favored right now in the betting markets. Uh, I think Rodgers is actually more favored in the betting markets than he should be. I put a, I put a bet on Brady at plus 500 yesterday. Um, but if Rodgers doesn't play much, that increases Brady's chance of getting it. And so, you know, Rodgers wants that award. So he's probably going to do everything he can to talk his coaching staff into letting him play. Um, Steph Diggs needs six catches for one and a half million um he also needs like 230 receiving yards for another one and a half million which is pretty unlikely but i could easily see them trying to get him the six catches um gronk rob gronkowski is an interesting one because we know that brady and gronk like love each other like they've played together for so long uh we know that they play on a team that as Hilo has pointed out has been historically uh friendly to players trying to get their contracting incentives in the last week of the season so gronk needs seven catches 85 receiving yards and three touchdowns each one of those unlocks a half million for him. Um, so the three touchdowns, obviously pretty unlikely, um, but seven catches, 85 receiving yards. Those are potentially in reach for him. Uh, let's see what else? Rex Burkhead needs one hundred and three yards, total yards to earn some money. Um, and he's been the Houston lead back lately. So I think that, you know, with an incentive on the line it, and, and nothing else changing for Houston and they're in a meaningless game, it seems like reasonable for them to give him the work uh aj green has a couple but that's a really competitive game i don't think you're gonna see teams uh try to like really get really focus on getting a player an incentive in a game that they really need to win right they're gonna do that uh in you know if if it happens it happens but i think they're gonna you know they're they're gonna try to win the game first and foremost um yeah cooper cup you mentioned tom brady needs 488 passing yards to break the all-time single season record And obviously, the single season records are a little weird because you have an extra game this year. Right. Um, But Brady, you know, needs 488 to break the to break the record. I I think he'd probably like to do that. Right. Brady has uh, is probably the greatest quarterback of all time. Not to open up a big debate with fans of other teams. Um, But, you know, he's certainly if he's not the greatest, he's certainly one of them. And we could see uh, we could see him trying to get this record to add another, you know, trophy to his trophy case. Mike Evans needs 54 receiving yards to have 1,000 in like every st- every season in his career, to start his career, which would be a milestone. Um, and again, it's just a little one that I think is potentially re- potentially one that you could make him play a little bit more uh, in a game. Where I think he's not really, he's not attracting a lot of ownership and has a lot of upside in. Kyle Pitts, uh, Kyle Pitts can break the season, the the rookie tight end receiving record. Uh, with 59 receiving yards. Uh, so I expect, I mean, the Falcons have nothing to play for. I expect they would try to get him uh, get him that record. Oh, what else? Mark Andrews could set the single season record as a tight end, but that's also one. I mean, I love Andrews anyway, but that's another, uh, that's one that's a competitive game the Ravens want to try to win to keep their thin playoff hopes alive. Jamar Chase could break the single season rookie receiving record with like 45 yards. I. The Bengals are a weird one. Like, I don't, if Jamar Chase does play, I don't expect him to play play enough to be DFS relevant. Like he might play enough. They might try to get him that record and then, and then take him out. Um, So I don't think that, you know, 45 receiving yards doesn't get him to DFS worthy scores. And then there's several quarterbacks that I think we could see um, that aren't really relevant for the slate here. There's several quarterbacks that are within the 5,000 passing yard, uh, they're within striking distance of 5,000 passing yards. And that's a pretty big milestone to quarterbacks. Um, But the only, the only ones on the main slate who are playing who are in that boat are Brady and Matt Stafford, the other ones like there's Mahomes, there's Burrow who's not playing, there's Derek Carr who's playing Sunday night, and Justin Herbert who's playing Sunday night. So I think those are the those are the main ones. Um there might be some others buried somewhere that are smaller ones. I don't know. I don't know like the defensive player uh, situations because I can't play defensive players in DFS. Um so I don't care about them. But um the ones that stand out to me there are Tom Brady, uh, Rob Gronkowski. Steph Diggs, Rex Burkhead, and Marvin Jones. So those are the one; those are the ones where I just I'd give just a little bit more weight to those plays because of the the contract incentive situation.
2: I dig it, man. Through
1: all that, you mentioned one name who I want to anchor on really quickly, and that's AJ Green. He's the one player on the mm-hmm. Cardinals who is not expected to garner ownership <laughs> this week. Um, so. I lean, personal preference here. I lean full fade on that game just because it is expected to garner so much ownership. But I think it it would be a disservice to not mention AJ Green because he is in the perceived top spot on the slate, and he is expected, he's the one player expected to garner no ownership. So would we, you know, be overly shocked if. AJ Green saw was the only player on the Cardinals to see double-digit targets? No. Would we be overly shocked to see AJ Green put up two scores? No. So these are all like valid scenarios um, for AJ Green. They get a, a, a little bit boosted by his... Concept. Excuse me, Antoine it's- Wesley wants
0: a word about ownership. I will note, we talked about Antoine Wesley last week. Remember I said something about Antoine Wesley being a cheap, low-owned guy who has stepped into this role with the under Hopkins out? And uh, Antoine Wesley uh, caught mm-hmm. two touchdowns last week. And he caught a touchdown week before yes, that. Sir. So he's also projected extremely. Yes. Yeah, three yeah, touchdowns. Yeah, two or 3% weeks. ownership, if that, for Wesley. This is a phenomenon we talk about a lot, by the way. I just want to, clear, I just want to note here is the field is pretty good at identifying good game environments to target it's less good at identifying what players you target from those game environments. And I'm guilty of this too, right? I talked about this last week. Um, I I played Bengals chiefs was my core game stack. Um, And was that last week or week before? God, I don't even know. Time has no meaning anymore. Um, But thank you
3: yeah and we talked, about, and this. We talked about this we talked about this being the best, ga- the best
0: the <laughs> best the best place to target but guess who i didn't yeah. play very much of was jamar chase because he had the worst matchup of the bengals receivers i i focused on Same um tyler boyd and joe mixon and it wouldn't really have mattered that much because like you know i was going to bring it back with tyree keller travis kelsey and they flopped and i would have had to thread a pretty narrow needle to get like joe burrow jamar chase and daryl williams but um but again like the point is it's really hard to project where touchdowns come from. It's much easier to project good game environments. And if you're going to focus on a game environment, make sure you play all the plays from that game environment because, you know, it's, it's really hard to be like, Oh, it's definitely going to be this guy. But the field based, uh, based on the ownership uh, situation is basically saying the Cardinals touchdowns will come through Zach Ertz, Christian Kirk and James Connor. And they absolutely positively will not come through AJ green or Antoine Wesley. And I don't think we can say that with confidence Right. Like and you can see if you go look at ownership from te- on a team by team basis, like I like doing this. this is a fun exercise for me as I go look at ownership by team. So Vikings, again, Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, super chalky. No one wants to play K.J. Osborne, who is on the field every snap now. Um, you know, it's the field that gets very focused on like these are the plays in this game that are going to hit. Um, but that's really hard to predict. It's much easier to say. Uh, The Cardinals are in a highly competitive game where they're expected to score at least three touchdowns. It's really hard for me to know where those touchdowns will come from. So it makes sense to be overweight, the super low owned guys on that team. And that's a strategy that you can apply, you know, to 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 every type of uh, football tournament forever. It's not like it's not that's not slate specific. Right. Like look for look for players on good teams with high totals and good game environments who are not owned. Easy game.
1: AJ Osborne, man, dude has scored four touchdowns in the last five weeks. Uh, the, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, obviously, with Thielen out for the year, um, that has affected how, you know, a little bit of the utilization. Um, I covered a bit of that with Justin Jefferson in the end around. Um, and Thielen being out has affected Justin Jefferson's route tree. Uh, he is running less of these high upside, deeper routes. You know, less of these double moves, less of these go routes, um, and he's transitioned to more um, of a intermediate threat over the previous five weeks. So something to keep in mind there as well. Uh, But KJ Osborne is seemingly a um, heavily involved in the red zone for Minnesota. Uh, Dig that call out. All right, man. Let's talk about some game environments that we haven't touched on. Um, as opposed to going through each game environment individually, I want to ask you, are there any game environments that you think are being overlooked uh, from the field that could provide um, yeah, some fancy little um, here?
0: Definitely uh, Ravens-Steelers, um, where we're seeing some ownership in Najee Harris. We're seeing some ownership on Tyler Huntley, as it should be. Uh, and that's it. It looks like the ownership on Tyler Huntley, uh, if these projections are accurate, of course, uh, the, com- the com- exceeds the combined ownership of every bank- of every Ravens receiver. Which means that people, if these projections are accurate, what they're saying is, uh, people lots of people are going to play Tyler Huntley naked. Um, and when Tyler Huntley had his really big smash game, he did successfully bring someone along. His name was Mark Andrews love it's going to keep talking about mark andrews um but the pat the no pass catcher is projected for over five percent ownership in that game uh and these are both two these are two pretty concentrated offenses uh they're both they're both teams that have slim playoff hopes and need to win um and i think there's that's i think that's a spot i want to target uh green bay detroit is an interesting spot for me because uh I think there's, I think there's risk. There's a lot of risk here, but there's also upside at no ownership. Um, I don't think, I, I don't think Jordan Love is likely to get enough work to pay off. But like you've got uh, the the Patriots, the Patriots. Sorry, um, you've got the Packers running back situation, where Aaron Jones it seems is unlikely to play very much, uh, which leaves AJ Dillon in a role where he could get easily twenty touches, or as I wrote up in the um, and the Oracle, uh, there's some possibility that the Packers say, "Hey, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are both part of our core offense that we want to rest, and so we're going to let this backup Patrick Taylor dude uh, take a lot of work." A signal that this could be the case is if uh, the Patri- is if the Packers call up another running back from their practice squad. A really clear signal will be if Aaron Jones was inactive, which I think is unlikely. um, but if the if they call up another running back from their practice squad, that could be a signal that they want to give Patrick Taylor a lot of work and don't really want to play Jones or Dylan very much. Uh, you've also got Amon Ross St. Brown uh, who has been absolutely smashing, and the Lions will keep playing him. um and then you've got and he's now he's got a softer um assignment because they've got um you know they uh, there's a softer defensive assignment with Packers trying to rest some of their key defensive starters, at least for part of the game. And then on the Packers side, Uh, We're going to have, you know, depending, it depends on who starts and for how long. But if you assume that like Alan Lazard, Marcus Valdez, Scantling, Devontae Adams don't play the whole game, then it's like, well, who does? Equinemius St. Brown, the the matchup of the St. Brown brothers, Amari Rogers, Juwan Winfrey. Like, I don't know. Um, And I don't know that there's a great play here. But I do think that what there is is there's plays at really low ownership. Um, that you could find that like the lions are still not a good defense. They give up a lot of points. And I think targeting, um, targeting that with, uh, you know, it's being willing to embrace the volatility and targeting that game environment is, is a use, is a good, uh, a good endeavor, a plus EV endeavor over time uh, bears Vikings. There's a lot of ownership here on Justin Jefferson on Dalvin cook and on Dave Montgomery, uh, which fine They're None of those are bad plays. Um, there's also a lot of ownership on Cole. Actually, there's more. The, the ownership has changed since I last looked at this last night. Um, Bears' ownership has gone up. There's a lot of ownership on Allen Robinson for some reason. But um, Cole Komet looks really heavily owned in this game. But what I think there's a spot that isn't heavily owned uh, is you could build around that game with pieces that aren't owned. So you could build around that game with like Darnell Mooney um, and KJ Osborne. Like, just include one of them or include Kirk Cousins in your stack. And like, let's say, look, Kirk Cousins, his team is eliminated. He just missed a game due to COVID. That was a really bad look for him after his COVID comments. Like, earlier in the year, he got a lot of shit for it. He might want to come out and like, you know, maybe he's extra motivated to prove something. I don't know. Uh, and then I think the the Bucks game. Like, the Bucks are projected for 25 points, one of the high, the higher totals in the slate on a slate of relatively modest team totals. Sorry, I'm just trying to rank them. I think they're third. Is that right? Fourth, fourth, uh, fourth highest team total on the slate. Um, <clears throat> and no one wants to play them because no one's sure who to play. And th- these these kind of environments are where we can take advantage, where people are staying away from the Bucks because they're not sure who to play on the Bucks. But you've got Tyler Johnson playing every snap. You've got Cyril Grayson uh, playing almost every snap. Cyril Grayson has had the more recent success and he's projecting for a little bit of ownership. Um, Tyler Johnson projecting for none. Mike Evans projecting for none. The running back situation seems unclear, and so Keyshawn Vaughn is projecting for a little bit, but not a ton. Uh, and then similarly, the Bills, the Bills have the highest team total on the slate, and the only person anyone, anyone wants to play from that game is Devin Singletary. Uh, no other Bill is projected for over 10% ownership. But like, we've got a contract incentive for Diggs. Um, we've got you know, leverage in just betting on the Bills passing game. And I am always on board for picking on the New York Jets. Always, always. Um, like that's, I've made a lot of money over the last few years just playing guys against the Jets. So I will always make sure to have anti-Jets exposure. Sorry to any Jets fans out there.
1: I love those call outs. I wrote up the uh, Green Bay Detroit game and made sure to mention. Um, uh, oh, God, what's his name now? Patrick Taylor. Patrick, yeah, yeah, Patrick Taylor. Yeah, sick. Uh, Yeah, so that's an interesting dynamic with respect to that game. Um, You know, this is a guy who could see twenty to twenty-two running back opportunities at the bare minimum uh, price, four K for a running back. So, uh, super, super intriguing there. Um, For me, I want to try and think outside the box this week with respect to the whole discussion on motivation. So, the two most glaring spots for me where I want to be or have some exposure to are the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Houston Texans. And why do I want that to be the case? Well, I want that to be the case because the field is only thinking about the away teams that are fighting for playoff chance and playoff seedings with those two games in particular, with Indy and Tennessee. Well, the most likely way for pieces from Indy and pieces from Tennessee to actually hit a ceiling is if they are relatively pushed from Jacksonville and Houston respectively. So that's an interesting dynamic. We talked about Marvin Jones um, earlier. We talked about how he would interact with um, Jonathan Taylor for the Houston game and uh, against Tennessee. Donta Foreman is not going completely overlooked, but I think his expected Uh, or I think he's going to come in lower than he should be uh, in ownership. this is a guy who has seen 20 or more running back opportunities, three out of the last five weeks. He is a guy who is likely to be leaned heavily on should Tennessee control this game, which they are likely to do. I uh, wrote this game up as well and kind of broke that down. So you can check that up in the edge write up. Uh, But this is, you know, he's seen 26, 25, 20 running back opportunities in three out of the last five games. Um, He also saw his highest snap rate of the season last week against Miami in another like must win ish game for Tennessee. So um, highly, highly intriguing. He's also a player that I could see Tennessee being completely fine running into the ground here because they know that they have Derrick Henry waiting in the wings to, return to his heavy snap rate uh, come the divisional round. So uh, Donta Foreman, d- highly intriguing me. Yeah, my dream scenario
0: is that Derrick Henry is active, um, and then Donta, Donta Foreman's ownership drops to nothing, and then we can play him, and that's very exciting to me. I would I would say, if you're thinking about the scenario, no. I would say that Derrick Henry's active status or not does not really impact Donta Foreman's printed workload. It might take away... A touch or two. Precisely. But then, you know, Derrick Henry might get a few touches, but then Dante Foreman will just get the backup touches instead or in the early part of the game. And then once Derrick Henry leaves, then, if Derrick Henry's not playing the entire game, then Dante Foreman becomes the lead back. So his touch projection really doesn't change, but his ownership would plummet because people would shy away from him because they won't know what's going on.
1: Yeah. And, um, he also interacts quite well with the other side of that game. And that was um, one of the points that I want to ensure that I made here is he Delta Foreman is going to see touches regardless. We know that, but in order for him to really hit a ceiling here, I would think that Houston would likely have to be pushing the, the game environment um, as a whole. And I don't mean that like we need Houston to score where, you know, talking about Indian Jacksonville, that is likely the case. We likely do need Jacksonville to score to push jonathan taylor well here it is more of a game environment interaction in that if houston is basically falling on their face and unable to get anything going against tennessee's vastly improved defense over the last six weeks if that is the case we're likely to see tennessee or houston basically just sit on their hands and ride out the end you know the twilight of their season what is Tennessee likely to do in return? Well, now we have two teams that are likely to be playing at extremely slow pace. And if Houston is not picking up the pace in the second half, it's going to hurt this game environment overall. What are the ways that this game environment could take off? Well, we could see Houston actually you know, pick up the pace in the second half. We could see Houston increase their pass rate in a very pass-funnel uh, matchup. You know, Tennessee has allowed the fewest fantasy points per game to opposing backfields. So if if Houston is coming out and is just basically twilighting their season, there's not a lot of upside in this game environment. But if they're coming out and they are going to increase their pace of play and their pass rates in the second half, like they've shown to do uh, throughout the rest of the season. Well, then Donta Foreman and Davis Mills and Brandon Cooks um, gain a lot of intrigue for me and make a very natural uh, game stack and uh, pairing here to capture what could turn into um, a better game environment than the field is perceiving here. That is, those are the two spots that I wanted to highlight as like potential game environment spots that could turn into more than the field. Um, and they primarily revolve around these teams, um, a game with one team that has a lot to play for and a game with one, one more? team that
0: doesn't. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm a little uh, disjointed today because normally yes, sir, like normally do. I have a routine of like having some time to kind of dig into some things before we got to be talking because the it was we we moved, this, we moved it it was earlier morning as you know got up got, got up, have got the kid up had breakfast blah 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 anyway um I was looking again at San Francisco and the Rams um and I think that we're seeing a lot of projected ownership on Cooper Cup and Sonny Michelle so once again uh a lot of certainty from the field on where the where the scoring's coming from and they're a good place um, but we're seeing actually very low ownership on the San Francisco side of the ball. We're seeing Elijah Mitchell with a decent amount of ownership, uh, despite being a two down running back and, an, and a horrible matchup as a road underdog. But the San Francisco passing game is attracting no ownership. Uh, Debo Samuel, about 2 percent. George Kittle, about 2 percent. Brandon Ayak, about 1 percent. Uh, also seeing uh, as per we, we commonly see this, but we're seeing uh, low ownership uh, on the Rams outside of the primary guys. Uh, we see Odell Beckham and Van Jefferson. As long as it's smartly the, the game is not attracting as much ownership as I thought it was going to. And the 49ers quarterback situation might be playing into that where <clears throat> the 49ers have said, we're not telling you who's starting, right? Like we've heard that Jimmy Garoppolo has looked good in practice, um, but Kyle Shanahan has refused to tell us who's starting the game. So you know that, that means that people are shying away. And, you know, Trey Lance, uh, if he starts the game, that does definitely ding the 49ers pass catchers because Lance gets so much of his value out of his legs. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is more of a pocket passer. Um, it, got, it feels weird to say that Jimmy Garoppolo increases someone else's odds of hitting. That's bizarre. Um, but like, we can expect more passing volume from the 49ers if Jimmy Garoppolo is starting. And so guys like Debo and Kittle, they have massive ceilings. Like They have slate-breaking ceilings. And no one's playing those guys. So I actually do think that game is more stackable than I, I think I thought yesterday. Um, because the 49ers, like no one, no one's playing their passing
2: game.
1: Love that call out. All right, man. Any other loose ends you want to tie up before we start? I don't believe so. No, i good, My friend. All right, let's talk about quarterbacks. The expected ownership, obviously heavily on Kyler Murray, heavily on uh, Taysom Hill and then Tyler Huntley. So what we're seeing is these mobile quarterbacks uh, attracting a lot of attention on a week with a lot of unknowns. So the top four expected owned quarterbacks, Kyler Murray, Taysom Hill, Tyler Huntley and Josh Allen, all those guys are mobile quarterbacks. They're guys that can do damage with their legs and they are. I think just a representation of the uncertainty associated with this slate. So a couple of guys that were mentioned by X earlier that I have been kind of honing in on um, one being Tom Brady, uh, Matthew Stafford in that same game environment that you just alluded to. Uh, and then these the lower echelon of quarterbacks that are going to be overlooked this week. Um, and could play into the uncertainty that we have at the position uh, and the slate overall. What I mean by that is who is most likely to benefit from the high-priced quarterbacks failing and failing in the sense of putting up 22 to 25 fantasy points and not going 4x their uh, salary. That's these quarterbacks that are priced low, like Tyler Huntley, like Davis Mills, uh, like Trey Lance, if he gets to start at 5.5. Um, and the, even Matt Ryan, I'm not going to be going there, but he kind of fits in that same build, uh, priced at only 5.2. So these quarterbacks that are the salary savers, um, on the week that will fundamentally alter how you are allocating salary, uh, on your roster. So that is something to consider this week where there is a ton of uncertainty. You know, what if um kyler murray scores 22 to 25 fantasy points what if josh allen plays three quarters and then gets rested and ends up in that kind of same range so these are the things to think about and um it's kind of twofold because it's not only like those players are failing it's not only you know the lower priced the lower salary quarterbacks would be matching their production but it's a Fundamentally altering mindset of your roster as a whole. And that allows you to do things that the field will not be doing this week. I will just note that Tyler Huntley, quarterback position.
0: Um, despite being cheap, like when he had his big game a couple weeks ago, he actually was the QB1 on the slate. Like he has upside. He's not like, he's not just a G.I. sure up, this guy can get me 20 points and all the other guys fail. Like Tyler Huntley has legit upside. He's my favorite quarterback of the week. Um, I also love Taysom Hill. Uh, I'm off, I don't think I'm playing any Josh Allen and I think I want to be significantly under on Kyler Murray. Three uh, or um, four quarterbacks in the league uh, at, you know, just a couple percent ownership. Like, that's a spot I want to invest in. I actually will be playing Matt Ryan. Uh, his career numbers against the Saints and he plays the Saints a lot. So I, f- I can put some uh, put some st- uh, some stock in this. His career numbers against the Saints are really good.
2: X, can you hear me, brother? What? Uh-oh. Oh no.
1: X, you there? Hey, uh, it's cut out like th- no, no. It uh, oh, it's just it. cut out for like five damn seconds. Um, sorry. That was the third time it's happened. So. Uh, just wanted to I'm going to get a new headset for next year. That's what I'm going to troubleshoot
0: um, I'm tired of this. <laughs>
2: Uh-oh, it happened again. Alright, if you can the hear me, brother, I think it Keenum. might be,
1: it sounds to me, I'm no...
0: Oh, yeah, I heard I you pl- came back I right want to play a little Case Keenum. Keenum. <laughs> um, I think, you know, he's the cheapest quarterback on the slate. Uh, I think he's, you know, sometimes you see when sometimes you have a backup playing like this, they're playing for their career, right? They're playing for a job next year. Um, so, you know, he's like high motivation. Uh, I think it makes sense for the Browns to take it a little bit easy on Nick Chubb. Um, the Bengals we know are going to be resting some key guys. So the defensive matchup should be a little bit softer. Um, and the Bengals, the Bengals. Defensive weakness lines up well with Case Keenum's and the Browns passing game, offensive strength, where the Bengals are vulnerable to like short, short area midfield passes. And like Case Keenum is not a not a deep threat quarterback. Right. Case Keenum's a dink and dunk guy. Um, but we saw remember that we saw Mike White on the Jets sort of dink and dunk his way to a massive game against the Bengals. And that's the same kind of game plan that we could see the Browns take on here. Like a lot of these are risky plays. Um the safest quarterbacks of the week for me, my favorites are are Huntley, Taysom, um, Brady, and Russ. But I, I will be dipping down to a little bit of like Matt Ryan, Case Keenum, maybe a bit of Jared Goff, because I like losing money.
1: Sick caveat there. <laughs> uh yeah, Tyler Huntley is very clearly my favorite quarterback to play on the slate. Um, not just for what he has done in the past and the situation he's stepping into, but because I like that game environment so much. Um, And I'm not going to Ben Roethlisberger. I refuse. Uh, So the, the Tyler Huntley, Mark Andrews, and then bring it back with a pass catcher from Pittsburgh is highly, highly intriguing to me. I will likely be playing a good chunk of that uh, game environment stack there this week. Uh, Any other loose ends at the quarterback position? I don't think so. No, I was was
0: terrified. you were going to talk about playing like Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. So I'm glad you didn't.
1: (laughs) No, sir. No, sir. I do like some pass catchers from those guys, but I will not be going there. Um, Interestingly enough, Trevor Lawrence threw Three touchdowns, yeah. his first game as a professional, and then failed to throw multiple scores on every other game of the season. So um, I could see, you know, the combination of rookie quarterback plus uh, interim head coach uh, trying to get him another multi-score game. But there's the the upside is severely lacking in those two
2: instances. All right, let's move to running
1: back. I'm going to list real quickly the top six expected running back ownership plays. Uh, and then we can kind of formulate on the spot what uh, is a, I guess, high leverage situation. I covered it in the end around. round. I know it just released, so um, a lot of you have not had the chance to read it. But we're going to talk a little bit about this position because this position um, is highly intriguing to me from a salary allocation standpoint this week. The top six expected owned running backs are Devin Singletary at 6K, Antonio Gibson at 5.8, James Conner at 6.3, David Montgomery at 6.8, and then you start getting into some of the studs in Jonathan Taylor at 9.3 and Dalvin Cook at 7.8. Donta Foreman just misses the kind of like cutoff for chalk running back, as does Najee Harris and Sonny Michelle. They're kind of in this... 18 to 20 percent ish range uh but Dante Foreman at 5.7 Najee Harris at 7.2 and then Sony Michelle at 6.0 as I'm going through that list uh of nine running backs now that we've talked about we should notice fairly quickly that uh that seven to or six to seven of those uh are in this mid-tier of running back pricing so we get a a fairly significant glimpse into how the field is going to be approaching the running back position this week. We're likely to see either two mid range running backs on rosters or one payup and one mid range running back. We're also likely to see an increase to the three running back builds because of the uncertainty and the perceived certainty at the position. So that's all information that we can throw into the, um, the, knowledge that falls outside of common knowledge bucket and develop a you know game theoretic game plan to attack uh what we're seeing uh the deviation i'll say from what the field is per- uh, seeing as perceived certainty and the rather lack of certainty that we have all right with that being said uh-oh All right. X is, uh, taking a break to finish up, or I guess troubleshoot his headset. Uh, he says he thinks he found what the issue is. So we'll expect him back here. So I'll keep yammering while we wait. With that said, we have all this perceived certainty at the running back position, but I would argue that there is about the same level of certainty at the running back position as there is on the rest of the slate. And that means almost nothing. So or I guess I should I'll rephrase that. That means there is almost zero certainty at the position. We have Devin Singletary, Antonio Gibson, James Conner. What do we have going on with those three guys? Devin Singletary obviously is playing the Jets, uh, but we have to question his expected workload as now the borderline workhorse for this Buffalo Bills offense, who is likely to be playing again next week. We have Antonio Gibson, who is coming off of two missed games out of the last three contests. And we have to question, you know, he's been fighting through, um, he's been fighting through injuries for the better part of the season. So we have to question, uh, his coaching staff's motivation to be giving him a heavy workload. We have James Connor, who's coming back from a multi-week absence. We know that chase Edmonds is out, but we have to question, you know, the level of commitment to James Connor, um, with the Cardinals playing next week as well. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to bring you in. See, if I hope so. I'm actually seeing what's is happening is I'm, out.
0: I'm dropping off the Discord voice call. It's not my headset, um, <clears throat> so I tried restarting Discord. If that doesn't work, I'll try. <laughs>
2: shit.
0: Straight right on that, and it kind of feels similar here, where again, like we talked about earlier, was. The field is through it through through its ownership is expressing a high degree of certainty in these plays, and I don't know that there is a high degree of certainty, right like you you talked about all
2: All right, hang tight crew. I'm going to
1: shoot X message real quick.
0: All backs that have a lot of upside and um, and the field's kind of avoiding. And so Alvin Kamara leads that list for me. <clears throat> he's, he's actually my favorite running back play of the week. Um, the Saints absolutely need to win. Um, Alvin Kamara is the engine of their offense with basically. One of Taysom Hill or Alvin Kamara is going to smash. Sorry, is you texting me? Is it's cutting out every fast. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to try restarting my computer and see if that helps. I will be back as soon as I can.
1: Sounds good, brother. I'll fill in the gaps. Uh sorry about that, guys. Um these <laughs> for anybody who's listened to the other podcasts this week we've had, a kind of run of technical issues uh this week, uh particular with this podcast and with um Pavel and I's podcast earlier, and these are on two different platforms. So uh, bear with us as we work through these. Uh, I'll fill in the gaps. Uh, One of the players that he mentioned that was uh, (laughs) Zandemir's text to me, tell him I think Kamara is amazing um, and most of the chalk is bad. (laughs) Got it. I was just about to cover that as well. Uh, Alvin Kamara, one of my favorite plays on the entire slate um, and kind of ties into what I was alluding to earlier with respect to salary allocation we can almost discern with a high degree of certainty that the field is not going to be paying up times two at the running back position this week. And when they do, it is likelier than not to be Jonathan Taylor plus Dalvin Cook. So what other running backs do we have at the you know, higher echelon of running back pricing that carry immense upside? Alvin Kamara is like the guy, the poster child of that kind of formula this week. Furthering of that discussion from a roster allocation standpoint, I am highly intrigued by the pairing of Jonathan Taylor and Alvin Kamara. Uh, I kind of broke down how I arrived at that, my thought process behind that uh, in the end around. So uh, I'll let you read that, and I will not kind of belabor that. But the pairing of Jonathan Taylor and Alvin Kamara, you're basically getting two guys who carry 35 plus uh, fantasy point upside. You're getting a fundamentally like reconstruction of your salary allocation on rosters because the field is highly unlikely to pay up times two at the running back position and you're getting these uh two guys um that will reduce the expected ownership on jonathan taylor through their combinatorial ownership so this goes beyond just saying excuse me this goes beyond just saying like Hey Taylor and Dalvin Cook are expected to garner ownership this week. What other high-priced running backs can I play instead of them? Which would be a pivot. I'm talking about like reworking how we're allocating salary and how we're viewing the slate and capturing an immense amount of upside in the process. Uh, So one of the things that we've tried to incorporate in this podcast is like talking through, (coughs) excuse me, talking through the players that legitimately have like. To 30 plus, 35 plus, 40 plus fantasy point upside. Well, Jonathan Taylor and Alvin Kamara are two of those uh, probably five or six players on the slate that have that type of upside. So, again, I'm not here saying like Kamara's going to outscore Jonathan Taylor and Dalvin Cook. I'm simply saying um, the way to go about exposing yourself to immense upside. By doing pairing Jonathan Taylor and Alvin Kamara will be very different from what the field is doing. Other guys that carry, you know, the 35 plus fantasy point upside. I got you, X. Sorry, brother. Uh, This isn't um, super unfortunate, but we are going to fight through. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, Alvin Kamara. uh, Maybe the field is thinking it's Dalvin Cook. I would argue that Dalvin Cook does not carry that same level of upside this week. We have Cooper Cup. We have. Justin Jefferson likely does carry that immense upside. uh, And that might be it for the running back and wide receiver position. The other guys I'll highlight George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Rob Gronkowski. They're all going to carry that 30 ish plus fantasy point upside that the field is going uh, to be highly, highly overlooking. So those are kind of uh, closing the loop on the thoughts at the running back position. Other guys that. I see carry some more upside uh, relative to their expected ownership. I mentioned one earlier in Dante Foreman. Um, and that is uh, a play that I'll be looking to mix in when I am attacking that Tennessee Houston game environment. Um, X, I'm gonna bring you in for a test run. Uh, any other running backs that you see have a higher chance of going. Oh I hope this works uh, than the field Is, getting credit
0: is it, for is it here. okay? How are we doing? Okay, sorry. Um, So far, so good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think you talked about him a lot. Alvin Kamara is my favorite running back play of the week uh, when ownership is considered. Um, Also, Rashad Penny has had a really elite role lately, and you know, for the road underdog, um, but the role has been super strong. And then, if you're if you're betting on Tampa, like Tampa's going to score some touchdowns, and if it's not coming through the air, then it's most likely coming through Keyshawn Vaughn. I still think Deandre Swift, like I don't, he's, I'm not certain on Deandre Swift. I'm honestly torn on him, but like, I think he still has upside. Uh And I think that they, I mean, they played him last week. He just, he had a really weird sequence where like he got to like almost the end zone and they put in Jamal Williams for a carry, like, and then they put Deandre Swift back in and they, he didn't get it. And they put, and they put Jamal Williams back in again and he got it. But like, I think Swift has upside and then AJ, and then you probably talked about AJ Dillon and the, the, the Packers running back situation, but AJ Dillon, um, big. I'm all over him, uh, or Patrick Taylor is uh, as a, as a lower owned, highly riskier play. Um, and then I'm just gonna be paying very. I do think there's a decent chance that Damian Harris uh, sits out the game,
2: like maybe 10 to 20 percent
0: chance. I think an absolute smash play. Uh, at what I expect would actually be quite low ownership because the Patriots play in the afternoon. Um, don't they? Or what am I wrong on that? Nope, they do. Sorry. I was looking at the schedule and I just missed
2: it. But Patriots' ownership would be quite low if Harris sits and we don't get advanced news.
1: I dig it, man. Uh, I caught most of it still cutting out at a far less frequent rate, uh, but, and less time, but still cutting out a little bit. Um, I think, no, 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 you're, uh, we will adapt and overcome baby. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, Ramondre Stevenson were a couple of the guys that you mentioned um, in the lower tier of pricing. Um, I agree. Uh, I like those guys uh, a lot this week as well. All right. Play Calvin Camara. I'll leave you with that. (laughs) Let's jump over to wide receivers real quick. Um, Wide receiver position. There is not a lot of expected ownership with respect to chalk at the wide receiver position. We basically just have Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup um, expected. And Christian Kirk will be lumped into there as well. Uh, Those three guys are really the only wide receivers expected to garner over 20% ownership. Um, You will also have these guys between 20% and 10%, DJ Moore, AJ Brown, Allen Robinson, equanimous St. Brown is actually expected to be in there as well. Um, And then a bunch of guys uh, that fall below that 10% benchmark. So there's not a lot of certainty at the wide receiver position on this slate. So the field is getting that right. But what they're, we also in that same line of thinking, we know that chalk will develop. And it's seeming to develop around um, those three particular spots, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup and Christian Kirk. So how are you approaching the slate X uh, in a week where um, there's really only these three spots that the field is gravitating to? uh, Yeah, so I'll start by saying like these are three spots where I think
0: the chalk is pretty good chalk. Like I think Cooper Cup has the highest floor ceiling combination of any player on the slate. Um, Justin Jefferson's role has been awesome since, I mean, he's been awesome all year. Um, but I think Hilo's point about his route tree changing is a relevant one, but his volume has also changed. So I like him. I think I probably don't like him at quite as much at that ownership, but he's a good play. And Christian Kirk is the wide receiver one for the Cardinals in a must win game and a good matchup. So like they're I feel like the, the chalkiest receivers this week are good chalk. Um, if we go a bit down, where I think we have some dubious chalk, is I see really high ownership projected on Allen Robinson, which is terrifying to me and and almost completely inexplicable, um, given that he's had you know he's not the wide receiver one of that offense anymore, and he's like at some point you have to stop saying you have to stop betting on talent and think well something's changed like what's changed here i don't know but something seems to have changed with alan robinson um he's he hasn't had a good game the entire season so i don't understand why he's chalk here in the last week um and then you've got some other fragile like Equinemius st brown i think it would be he'd be he's the kind of like volatile play that i would love to play if he was going to be super low owned but like i don't want to play him i don't want to play him into ownership um i think Amon Ross st brown is an absolute Score a median score on the slate, and ten percent ownership is entirely reasonable there in a in a matchup that's better than it will be, or better better than it would be uh, if the Packers are playing their starters the whole game. Um, Brandon Cooks, I, I love that call you made. Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf at low ownership. I want to play the Seattle side of that game. Uh, if you know if Arizona gets there, it's likely going to be bring Seattle along with them. Um, Seattle's gonna have to push it. Ah, oh, what else? I love the Marvin Jones call. Laquan Treadwell is a guy. Just, like ever since Adam Levitan described Laquan Treadwell as a particularly unathletic sixth grader, I cannot bring myself to play him. Um, but at the Bills' passing attack, uh, Steph Diggs, I think as a, it's hard to see Steph Diggs getting there. Guy with a big ceiling is always an attractive play, but I'm. But I actually really like like Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox. Um, I want to play the low owned parts of the Bills passing game, uh, and I want to play the low end parts of the Tampa Bay passing game. So Cyril Grayson actually appears to be picking up some steam, but it looks like it looks like Tyler Johnson, who's actually been playing more snaps than Grayson Tyler Johnson, and then Mike Evans uh, are projected for extremely low ownership, and they're they're really attractive.
2: does it oh um jarvis landry is a weird play um and i think that i I can't even where where is he on this list i
0: Um, but Jarvis Landry's route tree lines up perfectly with the weak spots of the Bengals defense. The Bengals are going to be resting starters. They don't really care about the game. Uh, Cleveland has Case Keenum, whose offensive skill set lines up well with Jarvis Rand- Landry's route tree. So like everything kind of lines up here for Jarvis Landry. Um, he's still a risky play because you're still playing a play uh, with a mediocre backup quarterback on a kind of bad team. Um, but I think that when no one is going to play Jarvis Landry, that feels like a spot that I'm willing to invest in because Landry has still seen uh, he's seen really significant volume since um, Odell Beckham left town. Uh, like, let's see. I see. You know, the volume is significant there, and if I can get a guy. When I can get a ten-target uh, wide receiver one on an offense for you know one percent ownership, that's a position that I think makes sense to overweight in tournaments. And you know when I say overweight, he's not like a lock play to me by any means, but he's you know you could overweight him by having five percent or ten percent um, you know one of one of ten rosters if you're hand building a, if you're hand building a smaller number or you know something like five or ten percent in MME I think makes a lot of sense.
1: I hope you could hear that. I dig it. That was, uh, that was, yeah, that was better. Okay. It cut out a couple times, but it was only for a couple of seconds. Um, delightful. so that was better. We are improving. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with all the points you made. Um, another interesting one to me is Deontay Johnson. Um, he not only is playing in a game environment that the field is not attacking, but he is coming back from COVID. So that's likely to, uh, suppress his ownership coming into this game as well. um, if the Pittsburgh Steelers are succeeding on offense, it is likeliest to come through Deontay Johnson against the Ravens. So I like that a good deal. Um, other loose ends, I think you covered most of them. We talked about AJ Green earlier. Um, you know, these, Mike Evans, AJ Green, uh, Deontay Johnson. These are like two to three percent ownership plays uh, this week. So uh, a lot of upside. Uh, for not a lot of ownership. Another guy that we mentioned earlier, Debo Samuel, uh, sub 2% ownership. um, Love that call as well. So basically what you're hearing is the theme of this week is leveraging the field's perceived certainty uh, on a week where there is absolutely zero certainty. And there's maybe a couple of spots where we can say for certain we know how teams are going to attack here. All right, let's jump over to the tight end position. Uh, We have heavy ownership on Zach Ertz and Cole Komet. I want to hear your take on these two spots before uh, I give you any bias. (laughs) So you can take the floor here.
0: Play. I mean, Ertz has seen... Oh God, I think my internet died. Uh, Ertz has seen really significant volume the last few weeks, right? With no DeAndre Hopkins. Um, 7, 11, targets. So like, I get the Ertz play... He's not a big yardage threat, right? Like, uh, in those games, all all those targets, 42, 74, 54, 41 receiving yards. He hasn't gone over 100 receiving yards all year. His receiving yardage high is 88. Um, So he's going to need to get in the end zone at least once to pay off that 5,300 salary. So... Igership is one of the chalkiest plays in the slate, is a position that I want to be under on. And then Cole Komet, it's really hard for me to want to play Bears pass catchers besides Darnell Mooney. Like Cole Komet is all floor to me. His high on
2: the year is
0: or give him a touchdown, he gets 20 and that's cool. But like, I just, I don't know. I have a hard time with chalk, with really cheap chalk tight ends where I don't see the ceiling, where like the 90th percentile outcome is Fourteen points, um, even if that's good on a point per dollar basis, I feel like it's it takes a very special week for that to actually win you a tournament. And on this week, there there aren't a lot of super clear pay up spots, and there is a lot of value. So I don't feel the need to invest in um, invest heavily in a really chalky, really cheap tight end. Jordan on the Texans, John Bates on the, the the football team, or the the Admirals, I guess they'll soon be called. Is that right? Is that the name they chose? Um, you know, Mo Alley Cox. I think it's the Admirals. Mo Alley Cox. Like, there's some other tight ends that are in the cheap range that are projected for pretty decent ownership, like around 10. percent And I just I don't see the ceiling on those guys. Like the guy I want to go where I plus in the likelihood one of them's going to get there and so those are the tight ends that I want to invest in and so we've got Rob Gronkowski on a thinned out um a thinned out bucks pass catching core we have Kyle Pitts
2: as the alpha
0: But Kyle Pitts has had an amazing season by all standards, except touchdowns, right? Like the touchdown variance has bitten him hard, Um, but he's, you know, he's, he's right there to break the rookie tight end receiving record. And yet we kind of, it seems like he's often viewed in DFS, at least as a, as a kind of a disappointment, Um, but he's smashed. He just hasn't gotten a bunch of touchdowns. And then my two favorite tight end plays of the week are George Kittle and Mark Andrews, uh, who both have 30 plus point ceilings and at no ownership. And so the combined ownership projection of all four of those tight ends, the guys who have like 25 plus percent, and so if I like essentially I'm, that's an odds game,
2: right? It is
0: clearly yes. And if any of those guys has a ceiling game, it just buries everyone who is playing those cheap tight ends.
1: Yeah, man, Um, I concur. I'll sum up this week as from a roster construction standpoint is if you want to be approaching this slate in a different way than the field, pay up at running back and pay up at tight end because the field is absolutely not doing it. Um, Mark Andrews, George Kittle, you alluded to these guys, Rob Gronkowski, even Kyle Pitts that you talked about. uh, These are the guys that can put the slate completely out of reach for the players that are for the field that is I guess I should say it like this for the percentage of the field that will not be playing them. So, like Mark Andrews at 1 2% ownership, George Kittle at 1 2% ownership, Rob Gronkowski as the healthiest member of, of a Tampa Bay pass uh, game that is,
2: we know their team leanings, um completely towards the pass. Zambia's texting me for little portions of uh, stuff that was missed. They're the top four uh, tight ends in pricing are expected to are sub-10% combined ownership. Uh, and that could absolutely bear the field like he was talking about. Uh, so, um, yeah, I have very little interest in Zach Ertz at extreme ownership. Zach Ertz is a guy who struggles um, with Yaki is more of a um, more of a position in sense that he's very good at reading defense and what the defense is giving him. And he's very good at settling into those um, laps- lapses in coverage. It- is Not good at taking uh, a sweep or a screen uh, or a quick split, uh 40 yards. That is not Zachary. So um, I'm highly uh, unlikely to be playing Zachary that ownership when he's highly unlikely to go for 100 yards. Has not yet done that this season. That means that he's going to need to score one or two touchdowns in order to um, even put up like for a score and highly unlikely to put up a he buried-the-field-type score. As for uh, our boy, Cole Komet, Cole Komet has, has seen double-digit charts once this season. He has not broken 100 yards receiving and he has not scored a touchdown the entire season. Why is that? Well, they have this other tight end that they're paying this heaps of money to basically be a red zone-only tight end. Uh, and in Chicago, and of course, so I speak of uh, Jimmy Graham, making this rip of money. He's like the like a
1: top 10 salary on Chicago from a tight end that plays like 20 to 30%. Snap rate. So I digress there a little bit of a, but yeah, that's part of the reason why Cole commit has not scored uh, because Jimmy Graham sees basically his only role is in the red zone. Um, yeah. I will not be going there at tight end. Give me one of the top four in price. Uh, Mark Andrews, George Kittle, Robin Kowski, Kyle Pitts, Eileen Andrews, and, and Kowski out of those uh, four. Uh, but all four
2: are extremely viable. Uh, Love it. it. Uh, X, anything else to add? I don't think so. Player pool is this for a smidge of arts and game stacks. Yes, sir. I love it. Pay up at running back, pay up at tight end to be controlled. Let's talk quickly about defense. We'll open up to questions. I see some hands raised, so we'll get get to those here shortly. From an OSHA perspective, we have the field finally realizing that the Bills are like a top defensive unit, uh, but they're doing so after they've had some injuries in the secondary, which is uh I chuckle at. So the Browns and Bills are expected to garner over 20% ownership. The Browns are your, uh, I call them the token pay down chalk defense of the week. Um, they are where the field is being drawn to and that is for obvious reasons with Cincinnati resting Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon being out. That said, let's look at the Browns real quick. Oh, crap. And of course, my computer is not Okay, the Browns. Uh, they have, let's see, 39 sacks. got 39 sacks. They blitz at a below average 22.4% rate. Um, and they have. How many turnovers I got? Sorry, I'm trying to look this up on the fly. Um, They have generated 19 turnovers. So that's going to be low there, Bob. Um, So while they're getting pressure organically through that defensive line, they're
1: basically uh, dropping coverage to that that high zone, heavy cover two, heavy cover three, heavy three, five, two kind of defensive formations. They're dropping into those, uh, kind of prevent defense. Uh, sets and they're allowing their front four um, and front three sometimes uh, to get pressure organically on the quarterback without having to blitz. When they do blitz, they do like to uh, bring linebackers primarily on the blitz um, and keep their safeties back in coverage. I know, by the way, Denzel Ward uh, is questionable coming into this game after not being able to finish last week's game. So you get this defense that is much more comfortable sitting back, keeping the game in front of them, and they are not this ball-hawking defense to generate turnovers. They also don't blitz heavily. So when you kind of look at the the makeup of this game, you're going to have two very conservative offenses against two very conservative defenses, and that is not necessarily the recipe for defensive success. So the Browns are completely out of my player pool this week. Uh, I will not be playing them. If they end up burning me, I'm willing to eat that uh, and differentiate elsewhere. Uh, X, what are you seeing from the defense yeah, position? It's always uh, weird when after two
0: defenses project for half the ownership of the field. Like that's nuts. And as good as those defensive plays might be, I still like I can't play defenses at that level of ownership. Um, like the Bills are okay. I mean, like they're a good defense, but there's a lot of good defenses on this slate, and you've got the. Bucks at super low ownership. You've got Indy at super low ownership. Uh, You've got Washington and Minnesota at much lower ownership than the Browns. If you want some pay down options that are in good spots, Uh, you've got the Patriots, one of the best defenses in the league. Um, You've got the Titans who've been playing really good defense of late uh, you've got the Rams, who could be playing against either Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance, or both. Both can uh, make a lot of mistakes. Uh, you've got the Cardinals, which are a good defense going up against a Seattle offense that has looked better the last couple of weeks, but has overall not looked good most of the year. So, like, there's a lot of defenses that I think are in play this week. And when there's two that are projecting for fifty percent, I just can't go there because defense is so volatile. Like, I will. I'd rather. I'd rather make the bet that those. You know, those defenses fail and drag an enormous percentage of the field down with them. Um, and if they beat, if they kill me, then they kill me. So, like, I like, I think Washington and Minnesota and Tampa are my three favorites
2: when ownership is considered.
1: Yeah, let's talk real <laughs> quick about some defense, shall we? My favorite. Uh, <laughs> all right. The Buccaneers, the Colts, the Tennessee Titans are all in, and we can throw the Bills in there as well, but um, I'm leaving them out of this discussion because they're expected to garner ownership. The Buccaneers, the Colts, and the Tennessee Titans, these are all teams that need a win for either playoff seating or to get into the playoffs, and they're all teams that interact differently with their respective offenses. What I mean by that is this the most optimal way to play the Buccaneers or the Colts defense is to do so naked without any member of their offense. What ownership those two defenses do pull this week is likely to be paired with the backfield situations. Why am I saying that it is not optimal to pair the defenses with the backfield situations for those two particular teams? Well, if the Colts are succeeding on defense, and succeeding meaning putting the slate out of reach with a score that is highly likely to come through multiple turnovers and or a defensive score. If that is the case, Jonathan Taylor is highly unlikely to see both a full workload uh, and run deep into the game. So what ownership the Colts defense does pull this week is likely to be paired with Jonathan Taylor, and I would argue that it's an either-or for me I want to either be playing Jonathan Taylor with a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars, or I want to be playing the Indy Colts defense on non-Jonathan Taylor rosters. Similar situation for the Buccaneers. Um, their running back situation is like Keyshawn Vaughn and Le'Veon Bell, who they recently signed. So um, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are generating pressure, you know they have 45 sacks on the season, which is an immense amount. And they are playing a Carolina Panthers defense who has given up top five uh, amount of sacks and top five turnovers. So Buccaneers are an incredible defensive play this week. If they are succeeding, we are highly unlikely to see a member of Tampa Bay putting the slate out of reach. So those are the two situations where I would be defense only and no member of their offense. Conversely, with the Titans... If the Titans defense is succeeding, it is more likely to create a situation where Deontay Foreman is also succeeding. So that is a situation where I'm highly intrigued in the pairing of Deontay Foreman, and we've talked about kind of my love for him this week already. Um, I'm much more apt to play or pair Deontay Foreman with the Titans defense because if the Titans are succeeding, it is likeliest to come through sacks which means stalled drives, which also leads to point suppression because the Titans only have 22 turnovers generated on the season. They have also scored three defensive touchdowns, uh, so we know that their special teams unit is capable of breaking off one you know, punt return, kickoff return as well. So those are the three situations uh, and the various reasons why and how I would be looking to play those particular situations. Uh, I'm likely to be limiting my exposure to those three units uh, as a more single entry 3 max mindset player. Any loose ends, there, so, no. X, anything I, I covered there? No. All right. We'll open it up to questions. I know Aaron is running around doing some errands right now. Uh, so, not sure if he's going to jump on stage, but I'll look through. It looks like we don't have. Uh, any questions in chat? We covered the motivation piece. That was one of the questions. Um, and the other question was from Outlaw Raider. This week, what key plays or assumptions would be most likely to sink the field given the setup for this week? We covered a lot of those. A lot of those have to do with chalk at the running back position. Um, and a lot of those have to do with the incentives piece, kind of on the other side side of that discussion x do you see any other uh answers to that question again this week what key plays or assumptions it's would be a really most likely good question i think it's it's around playing time
0: right and it's and, it, and it, i think there's ones that we i don't know that we can answer with a high degree of certainty right it's things like how much does antonio gibson play uh for a, for a team whose season is over and as a player who's been nursing a toe injury the entire year i don't think we can know that Unless he unless he's a surprise inactive tomorrow morning, which I think is unlikely, then I don't think we can know that. So I think that will there will be some I can say with a high degree of confidence because every week uh, every week all week seventeen every last week of the season um, normally week seventeen there's things that we look back on and say oh if only I'd known they were going to play this guy more and not play this guy as much Um, so that'll happen Um, but I'd say like the way to the way to prepare for that is. More about um, embracing variants across a portfolio of rosters as opposed to trying to get exact- trying to guess these situations exactly right, which I think is not there's a lot of unknowable information out there right now
1: I dig it man could not agree more that was really. The only questions we had through the chat. I see a hand raised. I'm going to invite you up. The Dr. B. Uh,
2: Let's see how. All right. You have a message and invite to speak. Uh, You can accept that and come on up and ask your question.
1: Dr. What's going on, man?
2: What you got?
0: Uh, I asked this in the, I think it was the single entry chat, but I was just curious on Dan Arnold as a bringback with JT, because I know they're they're really banged up on the TE side in Jaguars, and Indy is a TE funnel. Um, He's off the COVID list, but he's just got this MCL. So I was just curious your thought of pivoting off
1: Treadwell or Jones for... Dan Arnold. That's a very interesting situation to monitor. Um, I like the thought process behind it. What we know is that Dan Arnold was his 21 day practice window was opened last week, meaning he's on week two of his uh, possible return from IR. That said, the pretty much, you know, five days of that has been taken up by time on the COVID list. So there's a lot going on with that situation. And then we have, oh, by the way, James O'Shaughnessy has been ruled out. So there's a lot going on with Dan Arnold. We know that the coaching staff, or I guess we should say the previous coaching staff, uh, targeted Dan Arnold um, in trade to bring him uh, as a vital member of this offense. So I would say that the upside is kind of intriguing for a player priced at only 2.5. Uh, you know, he had a three-game stretch uh, where he went double-digit fantasy points, um, and he actually did it four of five-game stretch. So there is point per dollar upside there. I would say that we have to accept a little bit. Um, we have to embrace the variance with Dan Arnold. I will say because we don't know one if he's activated, two how much he's going to play. Should he be activated? Um, and three, how that knee's going to hold up if he does play. So there's a lot going on there. Um, but that is a very, very interesting, uh, bring up and something that I, I dig the thought process behind. Awesome. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, I will say, I mean, I, X, what I do you played got to a say lot of Dan that? Arnold, man, um,
0: Think that Dan Arnold doesn't have the ceiling to compete with the top four tight ends, and so that's where I'm focused this week. But I would say if you're building rosters that are around the cheap tight ends, I really like that thought process of basically saying, Look, I can get you know Dan Arnold at no ownership, who is just as you know Cole Komet, Levin Jordan. Bevin, whatever his name is, you know, like these other cheap tight ends who are attracting ownership. And so, you know, my way of my way of playing the, t- the tight end ownership is to say, I bet I can find a tight end who's going to score 25 or 30 and blow away the, the cheap tight ends. Um, but I
2: think it's equally viable to. See the edge, right, like that you can you can win that way, too. So I, I really like the call. Good question, man. Appreciate, appreciate you coming up. Thanks you guys.
1: All right. Uh, there's some more hand raises. Let's go. Uh, Maximus, you are receiving an invite to speak.
2: Hello. What's up, brother? What you got?
3: What you got? How's it going guys? Great job today. Been loving it all year just for reference. Um, my question is, how are you guys viewing the potential strategy of, or if you are even in a week like this, the, uh, three stacking with the, with a quarterback running back and receiver. Um, one idea I had was, uh, with that, um, as, as, as an example, um, in that Texans, um, I'm losing it here. Colts, right? Colts, Texans game. Uh, like Davis Mills, Burkhead, and Brandon Cooks with the run back, Because Burkhead has that incentive, in his case, with the 102 all-purpose, I think it's all-purpose yards, too, gets him that extra bonus. And by trait, even though they don't use him that way, I get it as a pass-catching running back, he is capable of being that. So are you guys viewing, you know, any, you know, situations like that where you think that that could be a leverage by uh, doing the – Instead of your traditional, what people come to think of as a three stack with the quarterback and two receivers, but doing with the quarterback, running back and receiver, are there opportunities or, or situations where you feel that's viable this week?
1: That is an extremely difficult question to answer this week. I'm going to put you on mute. or right, Could you go on mute real quick? I got you here. Sorry, we're just getting some bleed over uh, from your speakers. Uh, That is a very interesting question, but a very um, difficult question to answer because of all the uncertainty we have. You know, that is that is more of a attacking a game environment perspective. And I dig the, you know, this is a perfect week to take a stand on a game environment blowing up when the rest of the games kind of fall flat. Um. I would contend that Tennessee Houston is probably not the game environment most likely to blow up uh, completely. And by a by an overstack of a game environment, you need it to be like sixty to seventy plus total points scored because you need to capture um, a vast amount of upside for these large field GPPs. So for a for a small field. Uh, And again, this depends on the contest size and what you're playing and stuff. So this might be more viable for uh, and your particular example I'm speaking to might be more viable for a smaller field single entry type contests where you don't need to score 200 plus points. But for large field GPPs, the tournament winning score is most definitely still going to be in the 210 to 220 plus range this week. So people are going to score points. So. You would likely be limiting yourself by overstacking Tennessee and Houston's game environment. Now to answer the other part of that question, like, are there game environments where that could be more viable? Um, yes. The The field seems to think that it is the last game on the slate, the Seattle and Arizona game. I would contend that Pittsburgh and Baltimore is a likelier scenario, a likelier game environment to see that transpire. Um, and then probably San Francisco and the Rams uh, right behind that. So X, you didn't hear the question, but the question was, are there like any game environments where an over stack, uh, an over game stack is viable? The um, example used was Tennessee and Houston with Davis Mills, Rex Burkhead, Brandon Cooks, and then a
2: Tennessee bring back. X you there brother all right i'll keep
1: troubleshooting with x uh maximus good question i hope uh that answered your question uh i'll unmute you real quick do you have anything else
3: no that's it no that's that's well put definitely something to think about oh i I was definitely with you on the ravens it's you know people seem to forget that the Steelers are susceptible to the run. And, uh, you know, the Ravens ultimately would like to run if they can. And so, like, Devontae Freeman, for instance, is a player I haven't really heard much of all this week. So, so to your point, even what you just said kind of opens up the thought process of, oh, you know, maybe uh, even though Huntley himself runs, maybe a Huntley-Freeman-Andrews or something with a run back. that may be, yeah, that actually just feels on the face of it as if not more viable than the example I gave. So yeah, that no, was good. Uh, bringing that, that potential game for that possibility, but yeah.
1: Love it, dude. Appreciate the question. I'm going to kick you off and then bring up the last question and then we'll be getting out of here. Uh, actually, I don't want to hit the wrong button. So if you could just leave the stage, <laughs> I don't want to like ban you or kick you or something. Uh, thanks brother. All right. The last question, uh, stat
2: ATL bringing you up right now. What's
4: up, man? What you got? How you doing, guys? Good to be good to be on the pod. Um, I guess before I ask my my question, uh, if you don't mind, uh, I'm happy to give my thought on Maximus's question because it's something that I like to do a lot. Yeah, uh, go for it. You all right. Okay, cool. Um, so, I, I think the game environment that he uses an example wouldn't be my favorite. Uh, just just because I don't I don't see that offense generating enough. Uh, where that's a you know a had to have it kind of stack um if we're choosing one for this week my personal favorite is probably tampa with uh brady gronk uh and then maybe Keyshawn vaughn um i think that that has potential upside as i personally i see tampa bay putting up four or five touchdowns in this game um so that's just kind of my thought on that um Regarding my actual question, and I'm not sure you guys are actually taking questions on the Saturday slate, but I'll throw one out there anyway. Um, Was curious to get your thoughts on this. uh, It's a two-game slate today. uh, Being a slate where differentiating with uh, a double tight end, playing Kelsey and Schultz, uh, could be a good way to differentiate. And I'll uh, mute myself and and let you guys take it from there. But uh, appreciate it.
1: Yeah man that is uh, a valid thought process what i would expect from this particular slate is i would expect there to be more inherent leverage from three running back rosters as there would double tight end and i say that in just looking at the looking at the slate through the lens of it being closer to a showdown environment than a you know full slate environment because we know that like we know that multiple running backs on a roster is heavily utilized on full slates, um, and we know that on the same line of thinking, double tight end or multiple tight end rosters uh, on a full slate is under uh, or not utilized uh, by the field because of all the studies that have come out over the previous couple years. When we look at showdown, multiple tight ends are utilized much heavier, and the field is much more uh privy to the information that that it gains viability on a shorter slate all that you know this is just me kind of going through my thoughts through game theory and how the field is likeliest to to approach this um and the what actually happens could be different than these thoughts but um in you know, working through that all that thought process i would expect because we have very little certainty at the running back position Uh, on the Saturday slate. I would expect that three running back rosters would generate more leverage than multiple tight end builds because the tight ends that we have on the slate are basically Travis Kelsey and Dalton Schultz and then everybody else, right? Like we have the, the Broncos tight end situation that um, could generate some ownership, but is highly unlikely. Uh, Basically those two tight ends, Kelsey and Schultz are, expected to garner a ton of ownership. So if both of those guys are generating a ton of ownership, we're likely to see a heavier rate of rosters that actually have both of them on it. Um, Hopefully that's answered that question. Um, Super valid question. I love the thought process. I would contend that multiple or, or triple running back rosters generates a little bit more leverage on this particular slate. All right. Um, Stat, you can go ahead and leave the stage, and then we will take it out here. Well, fam, on behalf of Zandemir, on behalf of Aaron, on behalf of JM, and the rest of the OWS crew, we sincerely appreciate your support this season. We truly have had a blast uh, doing this particular podcast. I know I speak for Zandemir, uh and myself uh, in those sentiments. With that said... This is likely to be the final podcast uh, or the final, the final, final thoughts Saturday Inner Circle podcast of the season. Uh, so we are going to be taking it out for the season. With that said, we will see you at the top of the leaderboards and we will see you on the site throughout the postseason and into next year.